Welcome to the Smarter Trading Podcast. If you want to sharpen your trading skills or become a more savvy investor, then you're in the right place. Every week, we sit down with professional traders who are ready to share practical insights on what it takes to succeed in modern day markets. Smarter Trading, the show to watch to trade smarter. Kevin Medeiros is the founder and CEO of The Trade Risk. All opinions expressed by guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Evan or The Trade Risk. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Evan and guests may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, everybody. Our guest today is David Settle. David started in the investor education world in 2004 with Invest Tools. He's coached hundreds of individuals on how to invest in trade, stocks, options, and Forex markets, and he currently holds a CMT designation. In this episode, we dive into David's options trading process and how he uses a top-down market posture approach to inform his market bias and trade decisions. We discuss some very contrarian views David holds about selling options that I really enjoyed hearing as a fresh perspective. We then get into some very practical advice on a lot of topics like being willing to lose on trades, not getting attached to trades, selling options, volume profile, trading earnings, VIX term structure, and a whole lot more. Please enjoy this episode with David Settle. So so you have been in, um, you've been in Utah for all your life? Um, I'm from Texas originally. I, oh, okay. I uh, graduated high school in Texas and then came out here for school. Okay. Uh, got married while I was in college and Ended up staying out here. Nice, nice. What part of Texas? North Texas by the Dallas area. Okay. We drove through one of the cross-country trips. We drove through and we were, were in Massachusetts and we were actually going to a, I was going to a trading conference in San Diego. And then from okay. San Diego, we went all the way up to Seattle. So oh, we literally shit. did the whole, the whole country. And um, okay. yeah, that was a trek. Uh, but <laughs> I didn't, uh, Fort Worth is really close to Dallas, right? Like they're pretty. Yeah, right yeah. next to it. Right next gotcha. to each other. And so I'm from Denton, which is on top of those two. So it's like a triangle. Denton's gotcha. on top and Dallas-Fort Worth on the bottom. Nice, nice. Yeah, I liked um, Fort Worth is where we kind of spent a night, I think. And uh, it was a very clean city. Like it, it seemed, um, yeah, yep. it just seemed nice and uh, got some some good food out of a recommendation. I can't remember where, but uh, had some yeah, good tacos yeah. and everything else. So it was, uh, yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, um, Fort Worth is really trendy these days. Like back when I when I was there, you know, it was like, you know, Dallas was everything, and Fort Worth was right. kind of like the little brother. But now Fort Worth is like the trendy hipster place to be. Right. Gotcha. So, if my math is right, you've been in markets for about fifteen or twenty years. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Um. I kind of picked it up in the late nineties, right in the ninety eight, okay. ninety nine timeframe, as I was in college and. Uh, that's kind of when I just started uh, it, the internet, right? And having online brokerage accounts, that was all kind of a new big deal. And sure. so I just jumped on it, kind of similar to the Robinhood craze now. It was, you know, the day tech online craze or whatever back then. And and uh, so I just jumped on that and uh, rode the wave initially, like up and then back down and then just stuck through with it. Does it feel, you know, when you think about the Robinhood, does it feel like the late 90s or does oh, it feel yeah. a little different? It does. Very much, very much like the late 90s. Yeah. 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 That, I mean, it's what it seems like to me, especially on the crypto side. And I, I wasn't trading as early in the 90s, so I don't have that uh, personal. I can't I can't speak to how that was, but I know certainly it it seems like it, you know, with the craze and my friends texting me that are never into markets at all. But now yes. suddenly they're they're buying some random cryptocurrency I've never <laughs> heard of before. And yeah. Yeah, it, it feels like that kind of speculation. So so when you came in the 90s, what was your, were you coming in hot and heavy to trade or were you thinking more on the investing side back then? I started off thinking investing. That's what I started to learn it as, right? And I picked it up as, okay, I wanted to find good investments and see kind of a mutual fund thing because those were big mutual funds, but I didn't want to do mutual funds. So it was kind of transitioning from this long-term investor to okay, what's this trading thing that, that I can just do myself now without yeah. having to call the broker kind of a thing? And and um, and then, you know, quickly picked up options like 
almost right off the bat. And you worked in industry too, right? Like a little after that point with Invest Tools, and you started to actually get into the education side. Yep. Yeah. So right about 2004, I believe, is when I started with Invest Tools, and uh, yeah, doing the investor education ever since then. And and you know, Invest Tools has gone through like we merged with Thinkorswim, so we had a link, the link with Thinkorswim there, and then uh, TD Ameritrade bought us. And so when I left, I officially left TD Ameritrade. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I'm now I'm just doing the same thing, but just on my own. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah, you've been kind of in the space of, of education and working with traders, doing what we're doing right here. I mean, yep. is there any, are there any like good habits that you think new traders should like can pick up when they start or should pick up or anything that leads them to succeeding? Any any kind of commonalities you can think of? Yeah, you know, um, just considering my own, how I started and then like what my thought process was. And and then, like I said, I've, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. And um, the, I, when I first got into it, and even now I, I talk to a lot of people where they make a trade and then they just like, they're all about that trade. Like, oh, I just, I just made this vertical spread on Facebook. And and so now they're all about that. And they're like glued to how is this trade doing? And and their their whole like how they feel about themselves and their process all depends on that one trade. And I've got, you know, here on my TV, I've got um basketball game on because I coach basketball in the spare time and and I've got the Knicks and the Hawks on here. And and it's like, you know, you know, if if I thought my whole basketball career depended upon whether I made this shot or not. Then and I and most likely I'm going to miss. Then then I'd be done, right? I wouldn't be able to do anything. And so this idea of when you make trades, just make small trades. Uh, and and also too the other thing, and I did I did the same thing. And a lot of people do when they when they first start out and they start making trades, they think how much money can I make on this trade? I mean that's like the first thing. And and then they kind of determine whether they should do it or how good it looks based on how much they expect or plan on making on it. Uh, instead of, you know, how much can I lose? Like if it does goes wrong, how much can I lose? I'd ask that question all the time of people. Like, you know, when you got into this trade, like how much were you expecting to lose? Like what what were you planning on? And they're like, nothing. I wouldn't have made the trade if I didn't think I was going to lose. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so it's like, well, you got to have some amount that you're willing to, otherwise you can't make the trade. And so, you know, going into that mindset of, okay, I'm I'm going into this trade. I'm willing to lose this. Now, if it loses, it's not that big of a deal. Like you were already... You know, you have a set amount that you're willing to lose anyway. So once you have, you know, be done with the trade and move on. And and so if you have that in mind, instead of thinking, how much can I make? And then you never get out of the trade until you've made what you were planning on making. Then that's that usually leads to I mean, I blew up myself multiple times. Um, it's just how, you know, that's how it goes. That's how people blow themselves up. Yeah, I, I blew up two accounts, too. And um, that's unfortunately, you know, I. I, you know, in some respects, I think, you know, you almost have to go through some of that. You got to go through a little bit of pain to, for the lessons to really sort of sink in. I don't know. I don't know that you have to blow up, but I mean, I'm sure it's, it's something that a lot of, I think a lot of traders that survive and get through that, you know, are, are better off. They're stronger. And I really like your analogy though, on the, on just, you know, thinking of comparing it, drawing it to, to basketball. Look, if you, if you, if you had to make this shot and that, you know, everything wrote on it, like that's crazy. Nobody would no no basketball player thinks like that. No, no, any, you know, sports, you know, the hitter, you know, anything that, um, you know, involves probabilities is going to think like that. So that's a great, yeah, that's a great piece of, uh, starting advice. So, you started off, so you said options early and kind of getting into the markets. What what is your approach to markets today? What's your sort of framework on how you do things? Um, I, I technical analysis drives a lot of what I do. So I do look at charts. Um, I kind of look at the market from a broader approach, a, a market posture type approach to see okay, what's the market giving me right now, uh, and then then I go into more discretionary type options trading where I did where I pick. You know, different strategies, especially strategies I feel like might be more appropriate for the market environment we're in. Um, and then and then I just, you know, I, I know a lot of people will say, like, I only trade short strangles. Right. I, that's a common like, you know, the options traders will sell. They're, they're just premium sellers and they'll only trade high probability strangles. And and so I don't necessarily just stick to one strategy. I, 
I look to see what's the market giving me and what strategies I feel like might be more appropriate. And then I then within that, that doesn't mean now like that's the only strategy I'll use. Then I kind of I still will have a mixture of um, kind of more directional trades, uh, pre, selling premium trades. And then I'll kind of dict, you know, whether they're bullish or bearish. And then I'll kind of lean in a direction depending upon that market environment, but not like all the way into one specific direction or one specific strategy. So I usually end up with a good mix, but that mix might be tilted or biased in one direction or another, depending upon what I'm getting from my technical analysis in the markets. So, and you're not trying to be delta neutral at all times or anything like that, right? If I can, great. I mean, I have an element of my portfolio where I do delta neutral selling premium, um, that kind of, but it's a small portion. I found that people who, um, from personal experience, people who try to do more delta neutral on almost all of their active trading, they end up almost always wanting the market to go down. (laughs) And when it goes up, it's like, you know, the market's being manipulated by the Fed and and also it's like, no, if I if I can do it on a small portion and generate some theta, great. Um, but the rest of my portfolio, I might be delta neutral depending upon the market, but it might skew one side or the other, depending upon which way I think the market's going. Gotcha. And so that's you use the term market posture. Can you explain that what you mean by market posture? Yeah. So just kind of looking at like, you know, am I bullish on the markets? Am I bearish on the markets to what degree? And, and I have different. I have an approach. I have these videos I do on YouTube every day where I look at I have a an approach to to gauging where I'm at in the market, what my expectations are. Uh, I look through different charts all the time, and then I look to see if 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 that posture changes based on what these charts are telling me. Um, and so it's it's broad market. It looks at different asset classes and the intermarket relationships and how they work with each other. Um, I look at currencies to see you know what. What that and what impact or what correlations or relationships that might be having. So it's kind of like a broad risk appetite or risk aversion type um, analysis. And then I kind of go from there as to how I trade it. That makes a lot of sense. And then so you're mostly I mean, you're taking it as a top down approach then basically. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, market breath. Is that something you look at? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's been a little skewed lately because it's, you know, the call option buying has been so extreme and, you know, it's really skewed that put like put call ratio down and and then the like, you know, stocks that are above their 200 day moving average has been so extreme, too. Um, so I, I think the breadth has been a little skewed, but it seems like breadth lately has been kind of pulling back like we mm-hmm. haven't been nearly as bullish, but that kind of makes sense. I mean, you had you know, you had your small cap index, which was just killing it, you know, off of like from like September to like February here. And then since February, the small cap index hasn't been doing anything. And that I've noticed that that's kind of how where your breadth comes from. If the Russell 2000 is doing well, relatively speaking, you're going to get good breadth. If the Russell 2000 is lagging or underperforming, then it's going to be very top heavy, especially when you have such. I mean, we have such wide discrepancies between like XLK and, and all the other sectors. And which is fine, but I always tell people that in a market cap weighted index, you know, those sectors are going to be the big dogs. Like there's going to be a period of time where small cap or smaller sectors might lead like they have been financial mm-hmm. energy and things like that. But really, until those sector weightings kind of come back in line, um, it's going to be the big dogs. I mean, and they're kind of starting to turn around now. You know, you'll see technology and communication services and, and discretion kind of turning and starting to lead again. I actually think they'll. I think we're going to be bullish for a little bit for a little bit of time, and I think they'll lead. But I actually think that they'll initially start to lead here when we get kind of a period of risk aversion. Right? They're, they're almost like a safety trade right now, uh, right, where right. the small cap has been your speculation. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, are you in your sort of top-down analysis? Are you trying to favor sector rotation? Are you trying to play that at all, or yeah, are you sector rotation can tell you a lot about you know overall mm-hmm. risk appetite and you know whether or not the markets are bullish or how bullish they are, uh, and where the bullish elements of the markets are. Like I said, the you know there's been a time over this past year where the Nasdaq was killing everybody. Like coming off that COVID low point, the Nasdaq just killed everybody. But then, you know, since like September, since it went kind of peaked in September, the Nasdaq, it's really been a Russell show, like the small cap show. So 
So mm-hmm. that, and and you know early on it was technology and communication services and the zooms of the world and you know all those kind of work at home type technology stocks. Uh, but then once they peaked and once we started getting a vaccine and um, now it's been these you know the reflation trade right these uh, energy stocks and this, everything that was so beaten up the value stocks they've sure. been really running so it's like they passed the baton from one to the other so it can kind of tell you a little bit of really how bullish we are because I mean it's been great that those have been uh, outperforming lately but again we are in a market cap weighted index and there's such a sure. big disparity and the big dogs are the ones that have the biggest weightings. So when I'm really bullish, it will be when those areas are leading the markets and not these smaller areas. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting perspective. They dominate the they dominate the the, the flow or the construction of these indices, and that's really yeah. then what you're looking at for that real excitement into the upside. Hey, we saw that in the late '90s. So another similarity mm. from the late '90s is they dominated. They were so we were so top heavy, and it wasn't until 2003 when we had a couple of years of risk, you know, this exhale that all those sector disparities came back in line. And then once we rallied through 2004, um, through like 07, 08, that little bull market we had, it wasn't a tech led bull market because now that wasn't the big, you know, the, the, the disparities came back in line after, you know, that bear market that we were in. And so you could have new sectors. You had uh, financials lead for a while. Then you had the energy and materials really lead at the end. And so, so like, I think a lot of people expect like that to be the case now, but you can't have it now when they're so small, not until the disparities get rid of themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. It makes a lot of sense. And yeah, it's interesting. I haven't spent a whole lot of time thinking of it in that way, but it, it does. I see exactly the approach you're coming from. So one of the questions I get a lot is, is, or traders that are trying to, to time the rotation. And I sort of asked this just a minute ago, but I mean, do you, do you see any, I mean, do you think that's something a, a a trader can do reliably or is it worth effort there and trying to say like, okay, I think the next leg is going to come from energy, even though it's only, you know, smaller percentage. Like, is there any value to that you think? Well, I mean, if you're, if you're going to actively trade, if you're looking, um, you know, if, if you're going to put like all of your eggs in one basket, I would say no. You know, you remember like energy is a portion of your bench, whatever you're comparing your performance to. So if you most people compare it to the S&P 500, well, if you're going to compare yourself to that, energy is a small portion of that. So so look at your active trading and say, OK, if you are going to try to outpace that benchmark, how are you going to try to outpace? It? Are you going to try to outpace it because these smaller areas are going to outperform or the bigger ones are going to outperform? So like I don't I wouldn't ever myself personally just say go into because I think energy is going to do well. And I actually do think energy is going to do well because I'm kind of in this inflationary commodity cycle mode. So in the mm-hmm. long term, I think they're going to really do well, um, you know, late cycle type of a thing. But like, would I put all my eggs in one basket? No. Could I make some directional trades while I'm mixing in some other trades and in, in some of these other areas? Definitely. And that's what I've done. Like, you know, when, when we started off at that low point, um, you know, I, I made some trades in some of those uh, Royal Caribbeans and those hotel stocks that were more directional um, and gave them some time while I traded other areas more actively with shorter time frames, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So when you, you know, when you when you get through your kind of top level analysis, you get your your posture down. Are you mostly a momentum driven kind of trend follower trader? Are you going after you mentioned like Carnival? I mean, that thing got crushed in the initial drop. I mean, so how are you thinking about putting on trades? Momentum, mean reversion, doesn't matter. Um, Yeah. So directionally, directionally, you look for opportunity. Like um, when I'm making directional trades, I am looking for opportunities of where there is relative strength. Right. That's Mm -hmm. a big part of what I look at, too. Um, so if there is an opportunity where some of those stocks will start to outperform, then I'll make some directional trades. Now, granted, I don't make as many directional trades, right? My, my, mm-hmm. you know, I'm mostly even even like my directional trades are mostly like short vertical spreads or things like where they have smaller time frames. I'll make a few like long calls or long vertical spreads, but mostly most of my trades are the shorter, uh, short verticals, directional type trades where I can be a little bit more nimble. Um, but those I am sticking. I mean, I do look for relative strength and outperformance and and with the with the laggards when there's opportunities, 
Um, then I'll do those directional trades. So like one technical indicator I use that you might be familiar with is volume profile. Uh, mm -hmm. Very common, popular. So whenever I see like a lot of times when stocks like Royal Caribbean made a big move in a short amount of time, it creates a real significant gap in volume um, because it moves so far so fast. And mm -hmm. so when I'm looking for directional trades, I know a lot of people kind of associate gaps with like price, like you close one day and you open up the next day at a certain level. But I also look at gaps in volume uh, for those types of moves and stocks like the Royal Caribbeans and, and those, you know, that, that went down so hard, they open up these big gaps that are really easy to fill uh, once they mm -hmm. get going. And so that's kind of what drove a lot of those trades when I first met. Right now, I see kind of something similar, but in the opposite direction, whereas the Russell's been so flat for a few months, there's a lot of volume up here at the top uh, and mm -hmm. it's created a kind of a vacuum of volume down underneath it. Whereas the NASDAQ uh, has a lot of, because it's been more gradual and it's been kind of, you know, not really going anywhere for the last little bit. It's built up a lot of volume underneath it. So, you know, like I said, I think the NASDAQ is kind of a safety trade um, for that very reason. So if I were looking for directional trades right now mm -hmm. uh, in that smaller cap area, like because of that vacuum and volume, I, I, I will make some smaller directional speculative type trades where I get really good reward risk ratios. Mm -hmm. in, in that smaller areas to see if that gap gets filled in or not. I see. Yeah, that does make sense. I like it. I like volume profile quite a bit. And so when you are looking at those directional trades, let's say you have, you know, something, you know, beautiful that's setting up technically, but what if your IV rank on that particular or the implied volatility is um, super high? I yeah. know like how, how do you are you are you looking at implied volatility and then how do you adjust based on that? I know I know that's a uh, again that's kind of a very common thing is to look at IV rank or IV percentile, especially mm -hmm. with the uh, premium sellers, right? Because you want to sell high implied volatility. Mm -hmm. I have an issue with that, and and it's you know it's a little bit of a soapbox issue. And and again, I speak <laughs> from personal experience, especially teaching people to um, because stocks that have high implied volatility. Uh, levels, ranks, percentiles, they're, they're up there for a reason, right? Because the market's expecting a directional move. Like they're expecting mm -hmm. it to move one way or the other. So you kind of have to, I mean, nothing's like, you know, it would be nice if I could always sell high implied volatility um, and take advantage of that and always buy low implied volatility. But the reality is there, there's a reason why the implied volatility is high um, because the market's expecting a move, which is the last thing you want if you're a premium seller. And then there's a reason why implied volatility is low because the market's not expecting that much of a move, which is the last thing you want if you're buying a call op, especially a call option. Uh, so mm. it's like you kind of got to balance. Like I don't want it to be too high, if especially if I'm selling premium, because if that thing blows out, um, a lot of times it blows out way more than what the premium is selling for. Uh, but then on the other hand, yeah, it's great that I can buy a really cheap option, but it's cheap for a reason. Right. I mean, if the market's not doesn't think it's going to go anywhere, of course, it's cheap. So I end up selling a lot of low implied volatility. If I can get a good reward, mm -hmm. I end up selling a lot. And a lot of people look at me like I'm crazy. Like, why would you sell? You're not getting much of anything. It's like, well, if I'm a premium seller, I don't want this thing to move. And if I can get a good reward for my risk, then and it doesn't move. Great. That's what I want. So you just you just kind of balance. I don't want extremes. I kind of want to balance that. When I'm looking in place, again, it's a soapbox thing for me because you hear it all the time. I have people ask me about it all the time. I love that because I, <laughs> so I did not, I did not know that was your opinion or your take on it. And yeah. I, I super appreciate it because like you said, the market is, the market's no dummy. And like you say, if it's a hundred percent IV rank, it's there for a reason. Yeah. And it is. It should sound terrifying to you to sell premium at that point because <laughs> you know it's pricing in this ginormous move. So they're not going to price in like they'll tell you that market makers will price in more uh, than the move. Right. It's like, well, you know, if they did that, then they would be losing money all the time. And market makers don't lose money all the time because they know what they're doing. And so, so it's like, yeah, you might you might take advantage of an earnings announcement where it's got a really high implied volatility. And the stock just doesn't go anywhere. And you're like, oh, this is this is great selling high implied volatility. But then more often than not, you get those earnings with high implied volatility that just blow out one way or the other. Yeah. And and you're yeah. and you're and you've got all this risk because that's the other thing. People associate, especially new traders, will associate high probability trades, which is kind of what we're talking about, right? Selling premium. 
they'll associate high probability with low risk. And it's like, well, wait a minute, that's that that's that doesn't jive. Uh, high there's with a lot of your high probability trades, you're actually putting a lot of risk on for a little bit of reward. And and especially if implied volatility is high and that stock blows out more, now you're experiencing a lot of, of that risk. And you thought, well, what the heck happened? This was supposed to be a high probability trade. Why in the world? And it's like, because you sold high implied volatility. That's what you get. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? mean? This this is my thought uh, a year ago. And, and so I trade options, but not... Uh, not like you. I, I, I don't. It's not. Uh, most of my systems are mostly on the equity side, but I, I, I certainly have a, a fairly you know solid understanding of options. But you know when I think about the the the, the crash, let's call it back in yeah. uh, height of the coronavirus, and you saw that VIX go to forty. Well, as soon as the VIX hit forty, you got to imagine the option sellers were like, "Oh my God, forty VIX! Let's sell this right." And then yeah. the next day, what, day later, hour later, it went to 50. And then, okay, yeah. so you're drooling even more. Then it went to 60. Then it went to 70. Then it went to, I mean, that is yeah. a pain trade if you started that early in terms of selling vol. So yeah, that is uh, that is very interesting. And uh, yeah, I love that perspective. I, I really do. Um, it's a little different. It's not as, you know, I always kind of think, you know, I, a lot of people like in our business are trying mm -hmm. to sell, you know, trying to trying to promote what really sells. And I think, I think selling high volatilities really sells. It's very simple. It makes sense, but it would right. make sense if you know the market makers didn't know what they were doing, right? If they were just randomly putting high volatility in these stocks for whatever random reason. But the reality is they don't, and they do know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. and they're putting it there for a reason. And so, so it, what ends up happening is you get a lot of people that are starting out, and they end up bombing, and they're like, "Why am I failing at the strategy?" And it's like, because, because you're not doing it right. So is it fair to say then, you know, when you're thinking about structuring options trades, it really is mostly the technicals for you. I mean, market posture, the technicals of the specific setup. And then it's just this, you know, you're looking at IV, you know, kind of behind the scenes, but it's not driving like a lot of people start with IV and then no. do everything else. No, in fact, I hardly ever look at IV. It's, gotcha. I mean, okay. Unless it's, you know, if it's at an extreme and it stands out to me, then, then I might look at it that way. But no, I hardly, I, it does not dictate the strategy that I use implied volatility at all. It's all based on the chart and what I expect the mm -hmm. chart will make. And, and, and what I do is I look at how bullish I am or how directional I am on the chart. And then mm -hmm. that will start to dictate, well, should I be, should I do a long call? Um, because I mean, I have to really be bullish if I'm going to buy a call option. Cause you've got to generally speak in volatilities working against you, times working against you. But mm -hmm. if you can get a good price move, then that will can offset that. So if I'm really bullish, I'll look at a long call, but that's not very common. Um, mostly I'll do like long vertical spreads because then I don't have to worry about that as much. If I'm mm -hmm. directional, if I got a good directional move, but I just, I've got a good support or a good resistance if I'm bearish, but I'm not really that sold on how directional it is, then, then that's where the short verticals come in. So that ends up happening more often than not. Uh, and then if I'm just neutral, um, I mean, there's a lot of stocks right now. That's why I've been doing a lot of more iron condors lately. A lot yep. of stocks right now that just really moved up like these uh, small cap areas. Um, and then now they're just sideways and they're just going sideways. And so and so then I'll, you know, I look at those kind of Delta new like iron condors and things like that for those particular stocks. Yeah, I really like that. So if you let's say the hypothetical sort of situation, you've got a bullish posture on the market, you're kind mm -hmm. of loading up on. You know, you're tilted to the long side on on long exposure, but let's say you get a sudden change in in market posture and strength, and all of a sudden we're kind of heading down south pretty quick. Are you are you trying to sort of balance out? Are you trying to add new kind of short yeah. exposure at that point, mm -hmm. or are you closing out and adjusting existing positions, or both? Uh, some of both. Some of okay. both. You you'll notice that um, at least for me, and and again, I do this. I do this actually live, so people kind of look over my shoulder, my classes as I do it. But you'll notice that as you start to, you know, when you're really strongly bullish and then that bullish move starts to get more and more mature, you'll notice that my trades get less directional. Uh, they're more directional when we're coming off of lows. Uh, Volatility is higher. You're coming off of lows. That's actually when I get more directional, not more option premiums, because it's mm -hmm. like when volatility gets high, you're going to get a good move out of it. Right. So I tend to get more directional then as we get more and more mature in a bullish run. Kind of like we are, then I get less and less directional and more kind of neutral uh, with the strategies. Um, and then if the market does turn, 
then kind of the scans I'm looking for some ideas, they tend to kind of naturally gravitate towards more bearish opportunities and fewer bullish opportunities. Um, and so, and then my trades that I'm in, my bullish trades I'm in, then I just get out. I mean, because, you know, you have your entry rules and your exit rules and you have to be very disciplined, especially on these mm-hmm. high probability, high risk uh, trades. So once you've lost what you're willing to lose, you get out. You don't wait to see if it will turn back around you. So you end up starting to get out of your more of your bullish trades. You start getting more bearish ideas and it kind of naturally evolves. I don't have to make a conscious decision. Oh, my market posture's changed. I better I better start getting out of my bullish trade. No, yeah. I get out when I'm supposed to. Uh, when, when my plan, my exit rules tell me to. And if I'm following my plan, it all just happens naturally. If I don't follow my plans, then I get killed. Right? Then I'm like, well, eventually it might like it might turn up and turn around, um, but the market just gets more and more bearish and I'm still in these bullish trades and I just lose more and more. And uh, so it just, it, it happens naturally. And so when you're, when you're thinking about trade management, is it, are you setting like objectives on say the premium left in the trade or is it always like where the stock is like if whatever stock gets to your target but it's not where you expected premium wise or the way you structured the trade so uh, and then again it depends upon the type of trade so again these high probability trades i view as high risk trades because i'm not making very much i'm risking a lot and i'm not making very much so so when when i've lost th- those trades my targets of getting out are based off of the premium of the options but I get out of them when I've lost what I'm willing to lose. I get out of them. Like taking a maximum loss on a short vertical spread is like death now. So <laughs> I try to avoid that as much as possible. I have an amount I'm willing to lose. Once I've lost that, I'm out because it's a high risk trade. So I'm very inflexible uh, on those types of strategies. Whereas my long vertical spreads, where I typically might have like a, you know, between max gain and max loss, maybe a four or five to one reward to risk ratio. In that particular case, if I take a max loss, it's no big deal. It's a smaller, and, and I'm also, my maximum loss is smaller to begin with because I'll, I'll position um, on these high risk, tra- high probability trades, I'll have a certain amount I'm willing to lose, but on a more directional trade, I'll cut that in half. So I'm willing to lose less because it's a lower probability strategy. Um, now, granted, it's also low risk. So because I'm risking low, I've got more flexibility. So if I see... You know, like a Home Depot, which looks like it's been relatively bearish lately. And, and you know, I want to do a, this, you know, I, I think there's an opportunity for Home Depot to fall a little bit more on a directional basis, kind of fill in one of those volume gaps. But it's really not going anywhere right now. Well, if I was in a um, bear call spread and it was kind of bouncing up, then I'd be out. And I'd be like, I've lost what I'm willing to lose. I'm out. But if I'm in a directional trade that if it works, I can really get a good reward out of this. I've got a lot more flexibility to stay in it. So now those trades tend to be more based on what the stock is doing. Like, you know, how bullish, how bullish is it? Do I have some, some resistance? And can I give it some, some, some room for that chart to work out? Great. But for my short premium strategies, nothing to do with the chart at all, with the stock. It's all based off the premium of the option. Once I've, once I've made what I've made, great. If I'm losing that amount I'm willing to lose, I'm out of it no matter what the stock chart looks like. I love the restructured thinking here. This is such a fresh take and this is this is an against the grain take. So high probability trades are high risk trades. I love yeah. that label that you've given them and that makes I totally see the translation there. Yeah. I like the let's throw the IV out the window a little bit because it's not as powerful as it, you know, people make it out to be. Yeah. Is there anything else I can I mean in terms of options trading, I mean that seems like two things that are almost just you know, almost opposite uh, to some, yeah. to some, you know, to some regard in, in the classic way of trading options. Anything else that you're that you think people are, are maybe doing wrong or, or, or giving too much credit to, or anything you see differently? No, I mean, other than this, that that concept we talked about already of this, like having a single strategy that you just yeah. like. No one strategy works all the time. Like, I, I'm not a big fan of. Like and it's really popular to do with the high probability short strangles, right? That a lot of people kind of focus on that. And I'm not a big fan of just doing that because it will work 80, you know, 75, 80, 85 percent of the time. But then you get a COVID move that just blows it up, uh, and yeah, you're like, what yeah. in the world's happening? Because it's not, you know, there's there's different market environments, and so so what I always tell people is there's a bunch of different option strategies. Um, cause the people do do the short selling, they, they hate directional trades and it's like, okay, 
There's, there's all sorts of option strategies. And everyone has its pluses and its minuses. Every single strategy does. So um, nothing is all plus and no minus. As much as somebody might be marketing it out to be, nothing is all mm-hmm. plus and all minus. And if you're going for a big reward, um, you know, that is a probability and reward is like a, is, is an inverse relationship. So if you're going to go for a big reward, there's also going to be a low probability. Uh, of actually getting a reward, any reward, which is fine because, again, using a basketball analogy, the biggest reward that you can get is shooting three-pointers. And and the, the market's kind of figured that out. The the basketball world has figured out that, man, three-pointers, three that's the biggest reward. Um, we should be shooting more of those. But the reality is it's also the lowest percentage um, that you get. And so yeah. that's not a bad thing. You know, it's just take more, take more. You just have to take more shots in order to get that reward. And it's the same thing with these directional trades. There's nothing, you know, there's there's no all pluses and all minuses. If you, you know, if you hate directional trades, great. But, you know, and if you only like selling short, that's great. But just know that there are consequences for that. And like I said before, one of them being you always think the market should be going down because that's what short premium, you know, that's you want to you want the market to go down. And uh, and when it doesn't, when the market goes up, which it does more often than not, then you become a perma bear and you become a conspiracy theorist and, you know, the market's manipulated and all that. And you just hate trading. And so that's, that's kind of what I would, I, I a lot right. of people kind of fall into the mark, what, what they're marketed to, whatever strategy they're marketed to. And this focus single-handedly in that strategy right. just doesn't work. Are you a fan of selling naked options or are you always on the risk defined side of things? Um, I actually think um, they have, again, plus minuses, right? Um, they actually have yep. their role too. I, I think they're really, they're, there's, there's times for selling, um, you know, naked options. Now only one side. No, I'm not a big fan of that, especially the call side, but you know, selling puts and calls together, like on without any, you know, without buying the longs associated with it, uh, the straddle, so what ends up happening when you're risk defined is um, you take maximum loss. You, you have you have a high you have a higher probability than you think you do of taking a maximum loss um, on that trade because like the risk profile chart goes from max gain to and then and then there's you know the the law the P and L and then max loss right so you go it's a real steep drop from max gain to max loss when you're on risk defined. Whereas when you're um, risk, when you're not risk defined, when you're selling the, the calls and puts, then then that P and L is not a straight drop; it's more of a gradual move to this side. And for a lot of people that aren't disciplined, you know that 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 aren't willing to get out before they take that maximum loss, which is a death knell, then short strangles were great. Um, the downside to that though is it takes a lot of capital. So so you know yep. it takes a lot of discipline to trade that that steep P and L. Um, but it takes a lot of capital to trade the short strangle. So it's which one, which out of the pluses and minuses, which one do you prefer? Right. Yeah. So you're, yeah, you've, you've got a toolkit here. You're willing to use all the tools and it just depends on what the market's giving you, what the setup is, and mm-hmm. you're willing to sort of go there. And then I guess kind of rounding out that, what about earnings? Will you dabble in, in that oh, at all? For sure. Yeah, for yeah. sure. In fact, a lot of your directional trades, the catalyst for those moves are earnings announcements. So, you know, again, I think it's very common to sell premium on earnings announcements because volatility is high. Uh, but again, that's usually when stocks get their biggest directional moves is coming out of earnings announcements. So it's like so it's, you know, it's a, you have to mm-hmm. balance balance what you do. So I actually kind of like earnings announcements for making, you know, directional trades along vertical spreads where if it works out, then I can get a good like, again, like four or five to one reward to risk ratio. If it doesn't work out, then then I can keep my loss really small. Um, but I, I like to take advantage of those for the directional opportunities more so than selling a neutral, depth neutral strategy based on the high probability and then crossing my fingers that it doesn't blow me up. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I love it. Is there anything that maybe in the last year or two, anything that you've maybe newly adopted in the in in your approach or like any new i don't know any new indicators any anything new that you're sort of been playing with recently or is it kind of the same old that you've been building on in terms of foundation um and there's been there's been different indicators um one indicator so I, i've worked with td ameritrade forever right so 
I use mm-hmm. the Swim platform and they have a really good charting package uh, to the point where, you know, part of, you know, there's a good scripting package and we kind of script uh, out the charts that we like and use. Um, and so I generally stick with kind of the, your major oscillators. They have their own proprietary one that I, that I've worked with for years and years. Um, so that's kind of my main one, but the rest of them like RSI, um, the lately, like I'm not new to the directional movement index or the, or the DMI or the ADX. Uh, it's not something I'm new uh, or have been unfamiliar with prior, but it's been something that I feel like has been pretty relevant lately. Uh, so I've been u- actually using it a lot more lately. Um, and so it's, so I, it's not necessarily new, but it's like, Different things will prop up and be more relevant at different times based on the market environment. We've been so directional lately that we've had some stocks that have had a high ADXs, which is that, you know, part of the DMI, right? So it's kind of rare to get that, but we've had so much, especially in that small cap index that, you know, now that they're falling, you know, it's, it's had me pay attention to see when, you know, when are we getting transitioning on the directional movement from a bullish directional um, setup, technical setup to more of a neutral setup to eventually a bearish directional setup. And a lot of times your bullish directional setup will transition straight to a bearish one right off the bat uh, when that ADX is high. So so like over the past year, like different indicators will prop up in terms of relevance um, than others, um, but not, nothing new in terms of like um, something I hadn't been using before. Gotcha. What about... Um... VIX term structure. Does that matter to you? Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, so yeah, that's something I look at all the time. So like I, I will gauge how, like how bearish a correction is because that's the other thing I always tell people. Like, like if, if, you know, like we, we, the market's got to breathe out, Like you breathe in, you breathe out, the market's got to breathe out. And we don't think, you know, when someone exhales that they're going to die. And I think the, the media, the kind of, you know, the way the markets have set up now, if we pull back at all, we're in bear market mode, right? The reality is you got to breathe in, you got to breathe out. The question is, when is an exhales, you know, when is it that more we're getting sick, right? When is it more that we're like having a real significant bearish run? And so mm-hmm. I've noticed that the VIX can tell you a lot in terms of how much it jumps up relative to that longer term uh, volatility. And, and, mm-hmm. and so I do, I have a chart that I look at every day uh, in terms of like, where is volatility relative to that longer term uh, when mm-hmm. it jumps, right? And in fact, when it's been down and when we've, when the volatility has been dropping, like when it's been dropping below 20, I know a lot of people thought, hey, we broke below 20. Now we're, we're going to head down to the low teens again, just like we were in 2019. And it's like, well, we really can't because the term structure, right? The volatility is really low. The VIX is really, really low compared to its back months which makes it very difficult for the volatility to keep dropping without some kind of bounce up. Um, mm. And so, so yeah, so like, and when it bounces up, how much it bounces up kind of tells me how much of a correction I should expect. Cause usually mm. you get your biggest volatility jump right at the very beginning of a correction. Uh, and then we just kind of grind and, you know, go up and down in the rest of the correction, but you get that biggest jump usually at the beginning so how big is that jump? I look at that big term structure to see how big it is. You know, if I'm at that 100% mark, that's 100, 100 to 105% mark. That's kind of a typical intermediate exhale. Um, but if I get up to like 115%, now I'm kind of, you know, okay, this is going to be a little bit longer, maybe three to six month type um, choppiness, mm-hmm. volatility. And then if 125% is kind of the mark where I look at where it's like, okay, now we might end up with, like a death cross on the 50, 200 day moving average where, right. You know, I'm not expecting us to fall off a cliff, but it just means that we might stay down for quite a while. Uh, it will take a while for us to get going again. Like I know, like we hit the COVID low point, um, that big, big steep drop and we bounced up really quickly and we bounced up a lot really quickly. And, uh, you know, and people think, Oh, I mean, that the bullish market started, you know, turned around right there. But the reality is like when you drop so much, that initial bounce back is not bullish. It's just it's just an oversold technical bounce, right? We just like you a trampoline. You go down, you pop mm-hmm. right back up, and then you get going uh, to the upside. So it's the same thing uh, with that volatility. So I, you know, I kind of watch to see, okay, how big is that? And then as it starts to come back down, after we bounce up, 
then we start to grind higher. That's I, I, I look at that all the time, all the time. It's a very big, big deal for market posture. Hmm. That's very, yeah, I, I love it. Uh, thanks for yeah. going into all that detail. That's really great. What about, um, VIX volatility of volatility? Any yeah. Yeah. Interest there, lots of noise or what? It's very noisy. It's very yeah. noisy. I know it's very attractive to trade right. and to speculate on because it's so, you know, it's such a high volatility instrument to trade, but I've, I stick away from it. I haven't, gotcha. been, yeah, I haven't been a big fan. I mean, I'll look at it in terms of like, if it's really getting low, but then that, that confirms to me, not that we're going to like all of a sudden now fall off a cliff and get bearish, but it confirms more to me that now we're on, on a bearish, a bullish trend that we're just going to start grinding. Mm. Um, and, and those kind of moves, you know, like I said, buying call options is kind of hard. And if you're in a grinding bullish market, buying call options is like watching paint dry. And you're, you're wondering why am I losing money? The stock's going up, but it's going up so slow because volatility is so low that you're like, I bought a low IV rank. How come my, my call options not making me any money? The stock's going up because it's going so slow. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, as we start to sort of wind down here, one of the questions I like to ask is successful trading and what it what it looks like to you, what it means for you now, after all of these years and all of the education you've done, what does it mean now for you, David, to be a successful trader? Um, well, I'm sure it's given me, uh, probably similar to you, it's given me the ability to do what I want to do and not have to you know, I, I work for myself. I work at home. I do what I want to do. I like what I do. Um, so it's it's you know it hasn't replaced my income. I still have my own income. I don't mm -hmm. feel like I could trade without an income, but it's given me a lot of flexibility on how I get that income. And so so yeah, successful trading has allowed me to go from working for TD Ameritrade, where I had to do what people told me to do, and if I had good ideas, I had to run it through the bureaucracy, and usually got turned down, and had to compliance always on my back. Well, now if I have an idea about doing something, I can do it. And, and that's a, that's a, an outcome of my successful trading has gotten me to that point. Anything that we didn't talk about today, anything I left out, anything else on your mind that, uh, you want to share? Um, uh, you probably talk about this a lot too, but I, I would just say, you know, again, just reiterate, you know, as successful traders, you know, you've got, you've got to go into a trade knowing how much you're going to lose um, and, and be willing to lose it, uh, and then get out of a trade, a position, especially an options trade, once you have lost, especially on your higher risk trades, right? Those high probability trades where you have such a potential to lose more money than you really want to. Um, you've got to be able to get out with small losses. Uh, I know that that's like a very familiar axiom, right? Tra let your winners run and, and have small losses. Well, the reality is, the small losses part's the hardest one to do. Everybody's willing to let a lot of things go, but the keeping your losses small, especially on those high probability trades. So that's what I would say. Like um, is selling high probability is very, it's very sexy. It's it's it sells, and a lot of people like to do it. It's very popular for a lot of people I work with. I use it a lot, but incidentally, as high probability as things are, it, it is you have to be so disciplined. Uh, when you're trading and the discipline comes from taking losses when you are willing to take them like in going into every trade knowing what you're willing to lose and then taking it once you got it and moving on uh, to another trade and think of it like Trey Young or Steph Curry and think of you know okay I, you know I, I didn't do anything wrong uh, that's the other thing too about trading is we think when we lose money we did something wrong nope you didn't do anything wrong it's a probability right. thing right it, you know, if you miss a shot, you didn't do anything wrong. You just missed a shot. It's the same thing with trades. You lose money in a trade. You didn't do anything wrong. Um, you expected you would lose something. You did. Now you get out of the trade. You move on. Now, granted, if you go through like an extended losing streak, then something's wrong. But, you know, one off or two off, then you didn't do anything wrong. Um, you, once you make that mental switch, then trading becomes so much easier. Like when I first started, I thought every time I lost money, I did something wrong. And I had to go back and see, what did I do? Should I just, could I have done something differently, right? That's the dangerous term for traders, especially when they're starting out. Could I have done something differently? Well, yes, you could always have done something differently. And every trade you go forward, you're always something you can do differently. So you've got your process, trust the process, and, and then uh, and then trade it. And then, and then, you know, get out of that idea of, 
Uh, making mistakes equals losing money. Nope, nope. It's a probability. Uh, this is a probability thing that we do. You're going to lose money. That's okay. And uh, just keep on going, right? So, so that's something I really focus on with a lot of our clients. Uh, and I think that's been helpful for them to make that transition for them um, mentally. And that's led to their success in their own trading. It's great, great advice. And it's, uh, it's counterintuitive. It's hard to make that switch sometimes to, you oh, know, yeah. to do some of these things. But like you say, it's doing, putting in the reps and taking yep. some losses and seeing how things really happen over time. And, you know, one of the things actually I forgot to, to ask is, if you're, let's take a hypothetical trader that maybe is not having success directionally trading stocks, long, yeah. short stocks. Do you think that type of trader could then have success in the option side of things? Yeah, because the the issue with trading stocks is, I mean, there's no, I mean, the benefit to trading stocks, you know, like you were saying earlier with your systems, trading stocks is perfect because there's no theta, there's no vega, you know, there's no, you know, it's just price. And that's a big benefit. Uh, but the downside is, it's just price, right? So it's only directional. And, and mm -hmm. the stock's got to move in a directional basis. And options opens up a world to where you don't have, you can make trades that aren't directional. And again, I'm not a fan of just doing that, as sexy as that sounds. Um, but it is, as long as you can put that into your toolbox now, because trading directionally is hard. I mean, it's a, yeah. I mean, it's a low probability strategy. And, and, you're going to take a lot of losses and and that's just how it works. But, and if you can handle that, great. But if you can't handle that, there's another world of these, uh, again, they're high risk trades, but if you can manage the risk and be disciplined, it can help you with that always taking losses in a low probability environment and, and having a higher probability portion of your active portfolio to where you might not be making as much when you are right, but at least you're right more often, as long as you stay disciplined. Yeah, you're heading heading in the right direction. Your your PNL, hopefully, that's that's certainly the goal. Yep. Awesome. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about your work? Stay on top of what you're up to. So yeah, our website is marketscholars.com, uh, and then I'm on Twitter at David Settle42. Uh, we also have a Twitter handle for our company, Market Scholars at Market Scholars. Uh, my partner Brandon Van Zee uh, is great, great, uh, great person to work with too. He is he is a stock trader. He's actually a stock investor, so we kind of have both. Hmm. Uh, we're more active, and then he does the the stock dividend growth. He's very good at that, uh, gotcha. so he would be on that handle too. And then, um, and then we have a YouTube uh, channel at Mark the um, Market Scholars. Mark, we do a market outlook video every day that people can look us up on as well. Yeah, you guys are very active on YouTube, so we'll <laughs> put all of the notes in the description of this. So that's it, folks. You can find all those notes in the traderisk.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you in the next episode. David, this was awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Smarter Trading. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. For all of the show notes, links, and callouts, head on over to thetraderisk.com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Smarter Trading is hosted by me, Evan Medeiros, and produced by Ashton Alexander. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you in the next episode.